last week, oops, I was talking a little bit about false starts. And do you know what a false start is? Well, you can have a false start when you're sprinting, you know, and you take off a bit soon and then you, the gun fires again and you have to go back. And um, if you do that, um, you get disqualified. But thankfully in the household of God, if you have a false start, you don't get disqualified, you know. Yeah, um, but, so I'm just going to recap really quickly. Um, last, last week I was talking about the other side of, of disappointment. Sometimes you can... You can start something and it doesn't work out how you thought it would. And it's like, oh. And it can be very disappointing. Um, and, and so we'll, we'll get in. And then I'll, a little later on, we're going to start talking about a different type of false start. Um, so last week we talked about Peter and about, about sacrifice. And, and in general... Sometimes you can pour a whole lot of yourself into something and it doesn't work out. And it can be very, very disappointing because you put a lot of effort in, personal sacrifice, and it doesn't work out. And so we talked about Peter. And so I'm going to quickly just go through what we talked about. And so Peter, you think at the time of his arrest... You remember the story when, when Jesus was arrested? I actually didn't mean Peter's arrest, I meant Jesus' arrest. When Jesus was arrested, you remember the story, Peter was there and the men come up and he gets his sword out and lops off that ear. And if you could climb inside of Peter's head, you could sort of think a whole lot was going on. Peter must have thought, this is it. It's happening. You know, all the build-up and everything that was going on, and even though ticking around in the back of his mind, Jesus had already said that, that you know, he would be, you know, suffer and die. But he was, Peter, he started something. He must have thought, this is it. The revolution has begun, or whatever it is that he thought. But it was, it was a false start. Jesus says to him, you know, put your sword away. Jesus healed that ear. But could you imagine the context? If you were actually right there, you know, the men, the soldiers came up and they, Jesus says to them, you know, who are you looking for? And they said, oh, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And they all fall down. Like, I mean, there's, there's spiritual power going on, such a presence and so from Peter's point of view, it was like, oh, it's all happening. This must be it. Because he's seeing this, the occasion. But no. You know, if you go through, the, through to the rest of that particular story on that night, that's the night that Peter denied Christ. You know, significant failure. And... You know, Peter would have had that feeling where it talks about when he, he went after he, he de- betrayed, he denied Jesus, he, he went outside and wept bitterly. And so there was this, would have been this feeling in his heart. It must have been, you know, because he was all in. Jesus said, no, even if, 
No, Peter said, no, even if I have to, have to die, you know, I will die with you. I will never deny you. But that very night, Peter denies him. And so there, there would have been, I'm guessing, you know, if I was in Peter's situation and they're weeping bitterly, he must have felt, you know, he went from all in to all out. Like everything was lost. All those, that, those years of sacrifice, everything that he'd left, all for nothing. The, like the biggest false start that he... But, you know, what did he do? He, he hung around. But then eventually got to a place where you read a little later where he says, I'm going fishing. So he's returning back to something that he ordinarily did, you know, back to things that he was comfortable. He says, I'm going fishing. And Jesus appeared and he restored him. And, and so the, the point that I, I drew out last week was that this is something, this is the application, is that Peter allowed himself to be restored. So sometimes in our lives we have situations where we actually push, we push really hard, we sacrifice a lot, and it doesn't work out like we thought. It turns out to be this massive, big, false start, and we think, what now? And we can even come to this place where we think, well, now I've missed it completely. It's all lost. But the key here, and the lesson we must learn, is, is, that, is that Jesus wants to restore, and Peter stayed in the relationship. His heart was there. You remember on the day when when Jesus came to him, when he went fishing, you know, Peter was the one, oh, it's the Lord, and he jumps out of the boat, wraps his cloak, jumps out, he just couldn't wait. He was wanting to get to Jesus. Having that heart, that, that ability, that, that longing to, to, to go to him and allow yourself to be restored. Because sometimes we write ourselves off, we decide that we're all out, and we stand at a distance, and disqualify ourselves. And, and that's not what the Lord wants. Because, you know, on the other side of, of that massive disappointment for Peter was a restoration and something that equipped him for what is ahead. And we also talked about expectations. Sometimes just something as simple as having an expectation is a start. And, and so we quickly went through and we talked about Joseph. And, you know, you think about Joseph, the, you know, the boy. He didn't have any control over, you know, when and where he was, was born. You know, he was just a boy that was born. And, and like all of us, you know, we don't have any, any control. And, and for Joseph... He didn't decide to be the favourite son. Yeah, that wasn't his mistake. Um, but he was the favourite son. And so that had an effect on him amongst his brothers that, that he actually didn't have any direct control over. Now, of course, that would have built things in, in Joseph himself, like, you know, aren't I special type, type attitudes, I'm guessing. But he was not the one that initiated it. And so, you know, Joseph had these dreams. And again, it was the Lord that gave him the dreams. And so this young man, 
interpreting these dreams, he goes, hmm, I must be something. So he had expectations. You know, and so he just naturally he just told his dreams to his, to his brothers, and that didn't work out well. And then he told the next dream to his brothers again, and, his, and even his, his father says, you know, it didn't actually work out so well for him. But, but there's this sort of this type of, of false start in the mind with Joseph where he's thinking, I'm going to be, oh, he must have just thought, hmm. But what happened? Well, you know, he was sold and falsely accused. He was forgotten. He must have felt so trapped. Because, and he was trapped. There was Joseph, trapped in a prison, not able, not able to meet what he thought he was going to become. And so, the, you know, the classic of, of false starts in terms of expectation. And, you know, sometimes the same thing can happen to us, you know, where we expect something, you know, it might be on a different scale to what happened to Joseph, but, but very often we will have an expectation and because of that expectation we think something is going to happen. Sometimes we don't even start it. Occasionally we do start something and then it all falls over. And that can be debilitating. And so, if you follow the story of Joseph through, you know, of course his circumstances changed. You know, he, he became the, you know, the, the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. You know, he's one of those, you know, from, from the gutter to the, the palace type stories. And, you know, that, that's not necessarily the, exactly the same thing that would happen to all of us, um, except we all go from, you know, from sin to salvation, which is, you know, a, a similar scale of transformation. But the thing that we talked about last week and um, that we all do have is that Joseph in that story had power to, to act. And at the, when you read towards the end of the story of Joseph, when, when his brothers become aware of who he was, he had these two very strong feelings. You know, of, one was of, of vengeance because of what they did. And he had power to, to execute vengeance. And they also had this other really powerful feel, feeling of love. It was his brothers. And he wanted to meet his father. He wanted to meet his brother. And, and so there's, and in our lives, sometimes we can have some very powerful feelings. And they can be polar opposite. And unmet expectations can be the cause of such things. And unmet expectations or expectations themselves can, can cause you to have a start, but then you come to a point where these powerful feelings are at work on the inside of you and you have to choose which one are you going to execute. Joseph had to choose between those two, love or revenge. And um, of course he chose, he chose love. He chose not, he saw the bigger picture, he saw the place and he saw the role. And in all of this, the lesson that we must take out 
The thing that for me stands out is that when we have unmet expectations, and we see this in Joseph's life, is that he lived honourably. Even though he was falsely accused, even though all those things happened to him that were injustice, in all of that he still lived honourably. And so this is an important lesson for us. When, we're, when we are in a place, and it happens for, for pretty much everybody, it's, it's almost universal, where you will have expectations, you'll have something where you, you think you're going to start and it falls over, and the strong feelings that are associated with that. And to live honourably is a key. It's a key. And, and the other lesson, you know, before, you know, to, to allow yourself to be restored. Two powerful things. And so, I think we've already talked about this. Seemingly pointless sacrifices, unmet expectations. It's just what I just said. Because if you don't go down that path, you know, of allowing yourself to be restored, and if you choose not to live honourably, you allow the vengeance, for example, to, to come out, in, out of your fleshly nature, well, the outcome is, is not what the Lord wants. And so these things here are actually meant to produce something in our lives. Now I want to continue with something completely different. This is a different type of false start. Let's talk about Jonah. You know, he, he had got an instruction from the Lord and what did he do? Well, let's read. Let's read quite quickly. You know, you know the story of Jonah? Yeah, he got an instruction from the Lord. Let's see what Jonah did. Let's see. This is Jonah, starting chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. It's funny, you know, in those days, you know, he must have thought that he could just go outside of where God was, you know. Yeah, but this was actually, yeah, so this is after Elijah, you know, like before, interestingly, the, before Elijah in, in the scriptures, there was this common sort of heno, heno, henotheism, I think it's called, is where they actually believed that there was lots and lots of gods. They, even the children of Israel, all of... They, they believed there was lots of gods and you could just pick amongst them. And, um, and you can, when you read this story, you can see that this was still a common belief amongst the nations. There was lots of gods and they're all legitimate. Um, and it wasn't really until Elijah, when he you know, got the, all the prophets of Baal and called fire down and destroyed them, that... Israel started to learn the fact that there was only one God. But this is after that. But here's Jonah doing this strange thing of trying to run away from the presence of the Lord. 
And anyway, so here it says he is running away from the presence of the Lord. He says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea and so the ship threatened to break up. A very big storm. Then the mariners were afraid and they cried out to his God. Each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Okay, so Jonah was... Yeah, he was, I guess he must have been just a bit indifferent. And, um, but he was hiding. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, us, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And so here we have this, this context of, of his running away. And so the false start in this particular story is he's running in the exact opposite direction. He's, he started something, but he hasn't started what God asked him to do. We can be guilty of this similar type of thing. You know? And with Jonah, you know, there was cultural forces that, that drove his decision-making. I guess he just didn't like the people of Nineveh. You know? Those, those people up there... You know, they, they probably, in his mind, they probably deserved to die. You know, they, they needed to be judged. So he didn't want to go and tell them the truth. And so there would have been all these mixtures of feelings that drove in. But he, Jonah started something, but it was running in the complete opposite direction. And so we, you know, if we want to personalise it, we too can do that. We know the Lord wants us to do something, and we do... Pretty much the exact opposite, running away. And so this can happen to school kids. The teacher asks them to do something. Or if you're at home learning, you're told to do something, you do, the, do something very different. And you know, what, what it actually is, especially for grown-up people, is it's, just, it's, it's hiding from the reality. And we see that in that story where, you know, Jonah's going down, he's in the bottom of the ship, and he knows what's going on, he knows exactly what's going on, and he's hiding from the reality. And um, I'm really proud, practiced at that, I'm really good at that. I, you know, I can go through my life and, and think that, you know, if there was a degree to be given out, you know, to those who are good at hiding from reality, perhaps I could be given one. But, but many of us are like that, where we, we go like, you know, la, 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 like, you know, covering eyes, fingers in ears, hiding from reality and continuing and, and somehow thinking that will solve, solve the problem. And, um, and so that, that leads us, you know, to personalise the thought, personalise this particular concept is right now to pause and ask myself, ourselves, what are we fleeing from? What are we trying to escape from? What are we trying to hide from? Is there something? Is the Lord asked us to do something? Are there circumstances in our life that we know we need to actually look at but we're hiding from and avoidance, avoiding it and sort of abdicating our responsibility to address it? Let's continue to read. 
This is the next few verses. You know, and they said to one another, this is the people, all the, the crew and the captains on the boat, he says, they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, lots, for those, do you know what lots means? To cast lots means that, you know, it's like drawing straws or flipping coins. It, it's like a, 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 some random way of making a decision. So, you know, you know, paper, scissors, rock, you could use that, you know, some, some random thing to say, to find out who's the winner and who's the loser. And in this particular case, um, the Lord, being sovereign over all things, caused the lot to be cast and it fell to Jonah. He was the guilty party. And they said to him, tell us, yeah, it says, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, this is Jonah speaking, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. You notice that little, that last remark, he had told them? And this is something that we need to be aware of. Jonah knew exactly what he was doing. It was completely obvious to Jonah, and yet he was still doing it. He was fleeing from something, and he knew it. So he knew it so much that he'd already told the sailors that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And, and somehow in his mind, there must have been some construct where he thought that this was possible. But even though for Jonah, he knew it wasn't. And so we, let's, have a little, let's have a little rundown. Let's, how do we run? Perhaps I could ask, you know, from the floor, how, what's the one way you would run, Daniel? if you were going to run away from life or from circumstances? Um, YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. We could, we, could get, we could run away to a device. Any, any other ways that you might run? Sleep. Sleep. Just keep sleeping. Yeah. It's, when you're asleep, it's a great way to avoid how you're feeling. Yeah. It's also a good way to avoid others because usually people don't wake you up while you're sleeping. Sometimes they do, but usually they don't. What's that? Overwork. Overwork. <laughs> Overwork, yes. You could certainly run into, into work. You know. Let's see. Let's see a thing. Okay, first of all, can I talk more? Not quite so specific. We've already said this, but how do we run? Well, we run deliberately. It's, it's not an accident. You know, we, we make up our mind to run. Um, we run... Obviously, it's obvious to us and, and sometimes it's, it's obvious to others. Um, we notice, and others notice, we hurt, I'm bashing the microphone, we hurt and others hurt when we run. And this is actually a, a painful realisation that not only do we do it deliberately, but it's, it's actually not secret. 
but we think it is. Now, you need to balance this with the fact that sometimes we can be so worried about what other people think about us that that becomes, you know, a, a paralyzing thing. Um, the truth is people actually don't pay that much attention um, to, to other people, you know, generally speaking, you know, unless there's, there's a need or a cause or, or something. Um, generally because people are, are busy and they're, 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 you know, they're consumed by, by the, their own life and their own responsibilities and stuff. But in the household of God, you know, in a fellowship, in a congregation, in a family, when somebody's running, you know what's happening. It's, it's, and you feel it, and it does cause hurt, both personally and to others in the family. And it, it causes pain in the congregation. When somebody leaves a fellowship, it, it causes, you sort of think, oh. And it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, that, that's, you know, we probably shouldn't run away from. You know, it's better to face it and look at it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy. And, um, the other way that we run is we, we, very, we run proudly. Um, this, this whole idea of being wise in our own eyes. Um, sometimes we can be a mixture. If you tried to climb into the story of, of Jonah, Somehow he must have thought that he was doing the right thing, but at the same time he knew he was doing the wrong thing. And we find ourselves in this same place sometimes in life. We're doing something, and in the moment, we, when we analyse the circumstances, we're doing the right thing. But in the back of our minds, and sometimes the back of our mind is not very far back, we actually know that it's not the right thing. And so living in that place of, of a mixture of tension is, is no fun. But to continue doing it, to follow the wisdom of our own eyes, is, it, it's pride. Um, we also do it, you know, fearfully. Sometimes all of these things are involved, sometimes you know, just maybe only one or two. Um, but very often the reason why we run is, is because of fear. And there's an uncomfortable truth about fear. Um, and this uncomfortable truth is that in the end, you know, to overcome something actually requires you to overcome. There's, there's, there's no other way. You know, it's like, you know, climbing a hill. You, you can't actually physically climb the hill without climbing the hill without having your feet on the top of the hill. There's probably many ways to climb the hill. You could call a helicopter and, you know, get put on the top of the hill. But you, but you found the way, you've invested. The point of the story is the only way to overcome is by actually overcoming. And with regard to, you know, if fear is the reason why you run away from something, well then fear will remain the reason until you overcome, until you press through. And the other thing that we do, how we run, which seems like a, the opposite of what I said before, but it's not really, is we run privately. 
is in the sense that very often our mechanism for running is, is we withdraw. But we do, we use things to withdraw, like YouTube, like work, like sleep, you know, like, you know, moving towns, <laughs> you know, in, in more extreme. You know, some folk do that, you know, something's not working out for them, so they just pack up and, and just move town. And then they find the same thing occurs because the issue's not outside, issues inside and we also you know in terms of private we can we can self-medicate in in all the many what many ways that we can self-medicate you know with devices or with with alcohol or with drugs or with all sorts of things there's a whole mixture or food you know cre cream buns coffee <laughs> And, um, but, you know, there's this, again, this seems like a little bit of a, an opposite. Um, but we can also run publicly. And a lot of this depends on your, your, your temperament type. Is that we, we conform. You know, if there's sometimes the easiest way to run is just go with the crowd. Go with the flow. Conform even though you know that that flow will take you to a bad space, bad place. Um, and so social participation, you know, wanting, wanting to be seen, not wanting to be picked out. And this is something that is, that is particularly sort of poignant for, for, you know, for Christians, but it's, it's actually for human beings. You, know, you, you don't want to be excluded. You, don't, you want to feel like as if you're apart. And if you're you being a Christian means you have to stand up and make a choice which goes against the flow of, of the environment that you're in. That's, that's a difficult thing. And so sometimes we will just want to run. Just go with the flow. Compromise. And it's not what the Lord wants. And um, now this is another one. This is called, I call this one the, the switch. You know, it's where you, you play one part and then you play another. Um, you know, you, this has to do with the presenter personality. We're very good actors, all of us. And so you, you come into an environment and you slip into your character. You slip into your role and you play that part so that you conform. And then you go somewhere else and it's like, whew, now you have to play another part. And this is exhausting. It can't last forever because you're not being yourself. But it's running. It's just another way that we run. We use all the different strategies, all of these things, to run. And, and in the end, it, it comes down to, is we wanting to avoid something? In Jonah's case, he just didn't want to do what God wanted him to do for a whole lot of reasons. Probably because mainly he, he just really didn't want, he didn't want the, those people in Nineveh to be saved. And if you climb into his head, there's probably a whole lot of other reasons as well. But the story is not really about Jonah, the story is about us today. This message is about us. 
And when we choose to run in the complete opposite direction and in all the ways that we choose to do it and for all the reasons that we choose to do it, if you distill down through all of those things, we still end up in this same place where we're avoiding something and we're abdicating some responsibility that we have. And, and so this is a very different type of false start. You know, when we talked about Peter and, you know, he, he fell over big time, but he allowed himself to be restored. You know, and, and Joseph, his unmet expectations, but he lived honourably. And in the end, the Lord come, come through for him. And Jonah, Jonah, he was, he was running away. Um, and let's, let's, you know, I wonder what happens with Jonah. Let's see how Jonah fixed it. Let's see what Jonah did. And um, let's continue. We go a bit forward to the next ch- chapter and skip a few verses. Here in Jonah chapter 2, verse 5, it starts and says, The waters, this is, this is Jonah speaking, the, water, the waters closed over me to take my life. So he's been thrown in the water. That's what he said to the people. The only way to fix this is get me, throw me overboard. So Jonah's been thrown in the water. And Jonah's saying, The waters closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountain. Hmm. I went down in the land, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought me up, you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up on the dry land. So that's a little snippet. And I've got there at the the top there, how do we fix it? Let's, Let's have a little look at some of the things in that passage of what Jonah was saying. You know, first thing he did is, you know, he took a look around. You know, he could, he could see what was going on. Jonah was going, I'm dying. Or maybe he was dead. Who would know? But in that moment, and then he said, when my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord. And a prayer came up out of his heart in that place. And so very often when you're running away, we know that we can't run forever and it will come to a point of crisis. Now we, because of the grace of God, can can short circuit that at any time and the crisis doesn't have to be as deep as it could be. We can always, you know, cut it short and humble ourselves and and stop running. Um, But Jonah sort of ran to the very end until he was thrown off the boat. And, you know, the weeds wrapped around his face. He was swallowed by the fish. Um, 
But there it says in this passage, Jonah's saying, I remember the Lord and my prayer. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. So he prayed. So he cried out to God. And then he had made this, this recognition that he, he actually saw, he saw what is vain. Vain, he said, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. So when you're running away and you, you're using all these things as your means of escape or your means of avoidance or your means of abdication, all those things, YouTube, work, whatever substance you might be turning to, you know, food or alcohol or drugs or Tim Tams' food, <laughs> um, you know, or, or whatever it might be, those things actually become an idol. And here, Jonah saw, not only for himself but for others, he saw that, that in doing that, you know, you're forsaking your hope. So there's a realisation that needs to take place. To see what is vain, and the only way that we can see what is, right, what is vain actually requires humility. Because one of the reasons why we run is always pride our own wisdom, being wise in our own eyes. And of course, you know, when we are proud, the Bible says that God opposes us, but he gives grace to the humble. But this is a very interesting thing here. You read this, this passage says, but with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. Thanksgiving is one of these very powerful little keys that actually helps you stop running. It's the key. And, you know, I know this to be absolutely true. And, you know, I, I remember one time when I was, I was running big time. And, and, yeah, it was David Alley said to me, he said, I'm, do you know what I would do if I was you? Because I was talking to him. I was beginning to see some things. David Alley said to me, he said, if I was you, I would go home and I would read Hebrews 12 and I would thank the Lord for the difficulties because the very fact that you are experiencing these difficulties means that the Lord thinks that you're his son. And um, I didn't do it that day, but the next day I went home and I read Hebrews 12 where it talks about how, you know, that we should consider difficulties as discipline and the Lord disciplines those that he considers to be sons, that we, even we as earthly fathers, even though we're, you know, imperfect, you know, we discipline our sons because we want the best for them and our God, our Father is in, who is in heaven, you know, he is perfect and he, he disciplines those who he considers to be his son. And I read this passage, I took it to heart and I thank God for the discipline. I thank God for the difficulties. I prayed, Lord, would you use these things to teach me and continue to use these difficulties to teach me that I would learn all that I meant to learn from them. And this attitude of gratitude shifted something. And of course, you know, this is an ongoing thing because we, the flesh we still have with us, 
This is a very, very important key. And that is the direct application. Is that very often in life we do have false starts. You know, things that we put effort into and we sacrifice ourselves, it doesn't work out. And it hurts because it doesn't work out. Sometimes it's our fault, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's a mixture. We've got to push, allow ourselves to be restored, just like Peter did. And very often our expectations are not met. Almost universally there'll be things in our lives that don't turn out like we expected. But in that, you've got to choose which powerful feeling has traction in your life and live honourably. It's very important because if you don't live honourably, you go further down a path to destruction. It's actually not living honourably is part of this next thing where you start to run away. And Jonah, he ran away big time. You know, his, his false start was from the very beginning. He heard something and just said, no, nah, I'm not doing that. And so we need to reflect in our lives. You know, sometimes it's not from the start. Sometimes we'll come to a point in our life and we'll go, oh, no, I'm not doing that. And, and how do we fix it? Well, we need to see. We need to see what is, what is vain. And have that humility to be able to see it. Which is, which is a grace. The Lord, ask the Lord for grace to see. And interestingly, thanksgiving is very, very powerful in shifting the heart. Very powerful. And so, of course, this would bring us into, you know, into a place where we, we would need, you know, to turn to the Lord and, and pray. It has application... I spoke mostly about application personally in our own lives and our own families. But it has application beyond that, you know, into, into a town like Mount Morgan. And, and the reason why, reason why I'm preaching this, this way into Mount Morgan is not only because it has application to us personally, but, but in Mount Morgan, it's full of people. It's full of history. It's full of, of those who have unmet expectations. It's full of, yeah, this is not something that's unique to Mount Morgan. But the, you know, there's cultures in the town that drive behaviours. And you know, ask the Lord for grace to see and that there would be a grace upon the town to, to see and that there would be this shift towards gratitude for what is ahead and for what we have and for the potential. Anyway, I'll pray, otherwise I'll be rambling. Mm. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Lord, that you know our hearts better than we know our own. Lord, at times our own behaviour is... Sometimes it can feel like as if it's a mystery to us. But when we stop and pause, well, it's not really. 
Lord, at least in part it's not. Lord, we, we know when we're running from you. So, Lord, I ask you for grace, Lord, to be upon, Lord, each of us, Lord, in, and in any way where we are, Lord, have a stubborn heart towards you and we're, we're heading in the wrong direction. Lord, would your grace be upon us that we would be able to see that, see the idolatry, see the things, the strategies that we use to, to avoid. Lord, I ask you for this grace. Lord, I also cry out to you for this town of Mount Morgan. Lord, where these things, Lord, because of, Lord, that, that way of the flesh and the consequence of sin where, where each one goes, Lord, after its own way according to what seems to be good to them. Lord, I ask that you would... Lord, Lord, I ask for grace upon Mount Morgan, for a shifting of culture. Lord, that the gospel would prosper in this place. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.